I hope I can steal a little summoning from you, Dave. Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive. Deep left The flags go up, churning and burning. They yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Few burning fast on an empty. Welcome to Stats on Deck, presented by StatsOnDeck.com. I'm Nick Laporte, and I'm joined by Jake Adams. We're going to talk uh, what's going on in the Major League Baseball season as we approach the All-Star Game. And we're going to do a little bit on the NBA draft and uh, the awards show, which none of of us watched, including you probably. (laughs) Uh, Jake, let's get right into it. Biggest all-star stub, biggest all-star snub in either league, who's the one that's the most egregious? Without question, and you you can call me a homer, you can call me whatever you want, It, it is Anthony Rendon. At third base. It is an atrocity. You're not going to hear any complaints it from me. It is <laughs> shameful. If I keep going, I yeah. might turn into Stephen A. Smith. Because well, yeah. it is outrageous that Anthony Rendon, who is, by the way, the best third baseman yeah. in all of baseball, right. does not get a spot in the top three. In the top three because of this dumb voting yeah. system that we have. If there's one thing we've learned from this, it's that the fans should not really be in charge of voting. We don't deserve it anymore. I, I know there's an argument to be made. Okay, it's the players that we want to see, not necessarily the best players. That's a crock of shit. We want to see the best players. That's and, garbage. Uh, I'm just going to spoil it. Josh Donaldson is not even in the top five for third baseman in the NL. No, what you have is a situation where you've collectively had a million Braves PA assistants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Go in and vote five times a day on 35 different Google accounts to get Josh Donaldson to an All-Star game, which is absurd. Braves fans come out big in the All-Star voting, especially when they have a good team, which they do this year. They're in first place. They have a bunch of guys who are worthy of consideration. Um, I personally took Ronald Acuna as one of my three outfielders. Sure. I think he's been the far and away best player. Freddie Freeman. First base? Freddie Freeman really might be the best first baseman in baseball this year, uh, depending on how you look at it. Yep. But the problem is when we get guys like uh, Ozzie Albies, mm-hmm. Josh Donaldson, Dansby Swanson, these are good players, not great players. As a, as a fan, you have to separate that and be like, why can't you just be happy? We have a good team. We're in first place. And some of our guys are good, but not all-stars. No, it's, a, it's, it's 100% right. You, you have a situation where, once again, this bad system yeah. that the MLB pumps out to get the quote-unquote fans included, yeah. right, turns out this garbage where you basically have average baseball players yeah. going to be represented in the, in the Midsummer Classic. I can tell you this right now. When you're paying $2,500 to sit in the nosebleeds yes. in the middle of July – to go see an all-star game. You don't want to see Dansby Swanson playing shortstop. No, and Dansby Swanson, who, by the way, is a good player. Fine. Uh, he's he's alleviated some of my concerns that he was never going to be uh, even even worthy of an all-star consideration. I think in the future, yes, he, he will be in the, in the mix for all-star voting. Having said that, uh, 50 points under 800 in the OPS, uh, leaving out worthy candidates like Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals, it's kind of ridiculous. And um, to bring it back to Rendon, I've said this once, I'll say it again, and I also wrote about it on statsondeck.com. You can check it out. Uh, 
Nolan Arenado and Anthony Rendon are pretty much dead even in a, in a lot of categories. So they've been far and away the two best third basemen. I have no problem with Arenado leading the fan vote because he's a more marketable player. Mm-hmm. He has a better pedigree as far as all-star, uh, gold gloves, everything like that. The, the problem is when Rendon doesn't even make the top three. And you can fault Nationals fans for that all you want, but the fact is across baseball he didn't get enough recognition, and that's a problem. No, it is a problem. And I've found a solution to how we get past this. Yes. We do what the NBA does, right? And we let LeBron James yes. pick the MLB All-Stars. That's we, the best way to do it. We just let LeBron James sit in a room yeah. on TNT with, you know, with uh, in, in a locker room with, with a panel of Shaq and, and Charles and Kenny. Yeah. And you just you, – you have them narrate it, and then you just let LeBron pick the All-Stars and, from the NLA. If there's one thing we know about LeBron, his preparation – his knowledge of the game, he's not going to get it wrong the way the fans do. No, he's going to look at statistics. Yeah. He's going to go with his heart. Yeah. And he's going to come to a good conclusion, a logical conclusion, yeah. of who's having the best year at each position. And, and he's going to pick deserves it. And who deserves it. And I he's mean, not going to be unfair. This is my biggest problem with All-Star is it does affect contracts. It does affect guys' futures when they make or don't make an All-Star team. Yep. And that's probably unfair, but the fact of the matter is if Anthony Rendon doesn't make an All-Star team, suddenly you have maybe one of the five, six, or seven best players in baseball not represented. That's unfair to the fans. That's unfair to Rendon. That's unfair to the teams. That's got to change. Now, I want to bring up my biggest All-Star snub of the voting, um, Xander Bogarts. This one, there's not even a debate. He has been far and away the best shortstop in baseball. Not in the American League, in all of baseball. And the fact that he didn't make the top three is kind of shocking to me. I mean, Xander Bogarts is having a breakout year this yeah. year. He's leading his team in OPS. Mm-hmm. He is has the highest batting average on the team. And he has been the heart and soul of a struggling Red Sox team the only year. And the only reason that they're really keeping their heads above water right yeah. now is because Xander Bogarts has been a consistent leader on this team. And he's going to be for the next six years because yeah. he's living up to his contract. Right. That's also another thing. Just signed a contract, putting in his best year. He's Usu- doing- usually, Manny Machado, you see your best year before the contract. So uh, that's a good sign for, for the Red Sox. I really like Bogarts, and I think for years he's been criminally underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year's the first year where he's put it together with power and average. Mm-hmm. He's hitting right around 300. He's on pace to break 20 home runs for the first time since uh, since early in his career. And I, I just can't believe that he's not in the voting. Just looking at the wins above replacement, the choice is clear. He's second in baseball with wins above replacement behind Mike Trout. He's yes. the second best player in, in the, the American, in the American League. In the American League yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, in the American League. There's nobody better. So I, I don't care about the voting. He's going to be an All Star. Like it'll, he'll get picked by Alex Cora. I'm hoping the same thing will happen for Rafael Devers too. Yeah. Just selfishly, I'll tell you one guy that is leading in his category for yeah. me that shouldn't be an All Star, and he's on my team. And this is how you know that I'm not a homer. <laughs> J.D. Martinez has no business being an all-star this year. Yeah, Martinez, he started off the season roughly around the way he played last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a slight drop-off, but overall he was basically playing the way he did last year. As of late, it's been probably the biggest slump he's seen since being in Boston. 
And then that stuff matters, especially going into the All-Star game, because we're not rewarding last year. We're not rewarding April or April yeah. and May. We're rewarding just this season, the games that we played. And, and as of right now, J.D. probably isn't the best DH in the American League. No, he's not. And another guy deserves to go. But the, the point that I have is watching J.D. Martinez every night, he looks exhausted and he and yeah. he's had back issues in his career he's having them this year he's sitting at a 288 average which for him being the best I mean, he hitter, hit 330 last year right being the best hitter in in baseball right. last year he deserve he, he deserves the credit and the, he has the pedigree to be an all-star yeah but right now i think what would be best for him is a long trip to the beach yes as far away from the baseball field as possible preferably with the masseuse rubbing his back 24 7 yeah he's got to get that healed up because uh he's gonna have a heavy load on that back in the second half um yeah i want to give consideration also to hunter pence he should be there he should be in the All-Star game. Right. The resurgence he's had in Texas is kind of unbelievable. We're not talking about it. I mean, 962 OPS, 15 home runs, hitting a shade under 300. Um, if this was like 2013, of course I'd believe that. Absolutely. Sure. It's 2019. Right. I don't know what he's done, but he's figured it out. Um, yeah, uh, so we mentioned Anthony Rendon, Sander Bogarts. Paul DeYoung as guys that uh, were probably snubbed. Yep. Also, Hunter Pence just now. Um, one other one I wanted to bring up. Uh, and, yeah, I understand why why Gary Sanchez is the guy at catcher. We talked about this on the last podcast. But um, Minnesota, not super represented on this team. No. And I think Mitch Garver and Max Kepler, mm-hmm. who I wrote about, and Byron Buxton even, all have pretty good cases to be all-stars. Um, kind of the voting is a sham and, uh, the way the NBA did it this year, which I think we all agreed with was, uh, the fans, the coaches and the reporters all had a share of the voting. Right. And the way it worked out was if you get a case like say Josh Donaldson, the fans may have overranked him, but the reporters and, and managers would have balance that out to keep him out off this list right so i think baseball should consider that oh you know we don't have to do away with the fan voting we want it to matter but we don't want it to matter so much that undeserving players get into the game no it's a it's the classic case of like like we've called it like the kansas city massacre or like the chicago cubs takeover it's it's your fans coming out in floods voting for guys that have no business being in this game and and just completely overdoing the fan vote and like the NBA, it should have the fans should have a say and they should be able to vote. It's fun, it's interactive. Yeah, but it should not carry as much weight as say you know a manager or the reporters that are actually there. Absolutely. It should have some weight, but it shouldn't be the whole thing. Right, and and uh, just thinking about this, so we're voting in baseball. We're voting for uh, basically nineteen positions or so, and in basketball. The fans only determine 10. Having said that, in basketball, I think the only guy that really should have been there this year that didn't get consideration was Rudy Gobert, who won Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, In baseball, we just named five guys off the top of our head that might make the All-Star team but weren't even in consideration to start. That's a problem, and it has to be fixed. Yeah, this can't continue because, you're like you said, you're snubbing guys that – 
may not be as marketable, yeah. but are having career years and are not going to be recognized for. And this affects contracts. Like when you go into contract negotiations yeah. and you're looking at the resume of certain guys, these things bear weight. Have you have you performed well in the playoffs? Do you make all-star teams? Do you start off hot in the first half of the year and finish slow in the second half of the year? Can you put full years together? These all go into consideration. And when you have fans hijack, you know, some of these qualifications, you end up with this mess. And this is a classic case of Luke Voigt yeah. And and Dansby Swanson, you know, leading in particular categories are being considered in the top right. three, and it's absurd. It should not happen. Right, and then uh, I want to give a little bit more credit. We I kind of glossed over Paul DeYoung of mm-hmm. the Cardinals. A lot of us assumed over this time last month that Javi Baez was the runaway shortstop in in the National League. That's not true. No, Paul DeYoung's been the best one in the National League. It's a similar situation to Xander Bogarts. When you're the best at your position. You've got to be in this vote because what are we trying to do with the starters but pick the best guys at each position? And this is not going to happen because even if Javi Baez wins the fan vote and Paul DeYoung gets in as the second guy, that's not an accurate representation of how the season has gone. No, because you're basically getting spots for guys and like your starting lineup looks like Luke Voigt playing yeah. first base in the American League to start the year. And you're, you're, wondering, you're sitting around going, am, am I watching a AAA baseball game? And that's the thing. And and it also – it's unfair to players like Dansby Swanson, like Luke Voigt, like Josh Donaldson, who are having good years. Right. And it makes us angry at them for being an all-star consideration. We can't appreciate the years they're having right. because they've been up-jumped into the all-star voting. So our suggestion is baseball, fix it. Just just don't let this continue to happen. Just fix it. I mean there's too many, too many issues with the fan vote. You don't have to do away with it, but there's got to be a better solution than the one we have right now. Right, and it's not like this has just been a problem this year or the year no. before. This I mean, has been a this has been a problem. You mentioned for the Kansas City massacre, as right. we say in in 2015. Right, I think Alcides Escobar was batting under 260, and he was the starting shortstop. Right. Uh, the the next year, Addison Russell was making it for the Cubs. Lord knows he's never been an All Star, not even close, right. really. There's- uh, Braves fans this year are the ones that are sticking out with Donaldson and Dansby Swanson uh, jumping up into the voting. It's not It's not this year. It's been for years now. We've got to fix it. Right. That's, that's it. So now we want to talk about um, the, I guess you could call it brawl. Dust up. Dust up uh, between Wilson Contreras, Tyler Flowers. Um, Wilson Contreras, a noted nice dude. Uh, wait. <laughs> wait a second. Wait, hold on. Wait, what did, What do you do when you get a walk in a playoff game? Well, you you pimp it and you bat flip the yeah. the bat into the third round. Bat flip the walk every time. Right, because, you know, this is what you do in, in playoff games. You yeah. you celebrate the big things. Yeah, and how did that work out for him again? Well, they lost. Yeah, they didn't play any more games after that. Well, that, that was actually the last game they played that year. Yeah. Um, and, the, and you know the thing that I remember about that game, other than it being awesome? I remember Wilson Contreras bat flipping in the bottom of yeah. the eighth inning with nobody on base and two outs. Right. How That's did, what I remember. It did not work out well for you, Wilson. But he keeps up with his antics, and uh, Tyler Flowers was not a fan of him. Well, I actually – I appreciate what Tyler Flowers did. So – the situation was a borderline fastball at the bottom of the zone was called a strike early in any at-bat. Right. Right? It happens every day. You know what I mean? Players disagree oh, with yeah. calls. Every single game, every single day. It happens all the time. Wilson Contreras being, you know, the, the crown prince that he is, you yes. know, deserving of 
you know, of all of the praise and glory, yeah. turns around and feels slighted by yeah, the umpire. Of course. Now, this happens in all baseball games, like yeah. we said. Like, you can turn around and disagree with the pitch. It's fine. Yeah. But, well, yeah, turn on any game. You're going to see the, this part of the situation happen. Sure. So, he turns around, you know, does the classic hand in the air yeah. overreaction. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe that this had been done to him. And then turns back, well, it just so happens that our hero, Tyler Flowers, yeah. well, at least my hero, Tyler Flowers, oh. just wasn't having it that no. day. Wasn't having it. So he, so he looks up at him and just goes, it was a strike. Yeah. You know, get in the box. Exactly. Like an adult. Tyler Flowers just wants to play the game. Like, just, <laughs> can we not have a, a drama session? we got to throw 100 more pitches in this game. Exactly. So Wilson Contreras, you know, like I said, being the crown prince, couldn't believe that somebody would, would, would be fed up with, his, with, with his, uh, his dismay at the call. Well, he's used to, you know, Joe Madden and the coaching staff coddling him through his crybaby antics all the time so what what should we expect so tyler flowers you know like an adult just wasn't having it was yeah. speaking up mm-hmm. and he told him to get back in the box well wilson Contreras doesn't like to be told what to do no wilson, not at all wilson Contreras likes to throw down to first yeah in the bottom of the ninth inning yeah. with two runners on and if that ball gets away you know whose fault it is the first baseman not wilson's not wilson's yeah so um tyler flowers took exception to it and unfortunately the very next pitch yeah Wilson Contreras hits an opposite field home run. Sure, great swing, by the way. Good, good for He's you. He's a good player. Well, he hit. Well, he hit the ball and it did go out. So you know, Wilson takes this moment to you know show Tyler what's what, you know, and gives him a little lip service. Going and takes his time around the bases. If you're Tyler Flowers, you've already pushed your chips in. Yeah, Tyler Flowers. The problem is once he hits that home run, you have no choice but to to fire back. At you got to talk shit now. Yeah. Because this the the reality is the worst thing that could have happened yeah. for you after saying get back in the box yeah. has now happened. Yeah. Contreras backed up his nonsense by hitting the home run, so now Tyler Flowers had to back up his side of the story. Tyler Flowers actually handled this way better than I would have because I wouldn't have let Wilson Contreras run around the bases. I would have caught up to him <laughs> and grabbed his jersey and just tackled him. Then we might have had a full-fledged brawl on our hands. <laughs> then we would have had the full deal. Yeah. But, I no, I, I have no problem. I actually am happy that somebody finally spoke up to Wilson. Yeah. I'm just I'm just upset that the baseball gods rewarded him for bad behavior. Yeah, he, he won that battle, but ultimately I think Contreras is going to lose the war. When you play like that, when you act like a basically a child – you're not going to be rewarded long-term. And that's not to say bat flips have a place in the game. Sure. You can bat flip big home runs. You know, you can have a personality on the field. The, the One of the problems with baseball right now is uh, there's not enough personality in the game. Like we see in the NBA, especially in the NFL, even in the playoffs when we see hockey players come out of their shells. We need that kind of stuff in baseball, yep. but not at the expense of basically being an ass, which is what Wilson Contreras does. So... I know the comments would be something along the lines of, well, look, didn't you see the commercial to let the kids play and all these things? And this is Wilson Contreras having, right. you know, you know, bringing some spice in. No, it's not. No. There's a difference. There's a difference between bat flipping home runs and yeah. being excited and playing the game with passion and fun, yeah. right? And then a difference between being an ass. Right. And, and you know, you don't want to give them too much free reign over acting like this because then you get situations like Manny Machado in the playoffs trying to take guys' legs out at first base. Right. If if you're Tyler Flowers after he hits that home run and the whole thing dies down, how do you not turn back to the home plate umpire and be like, help me out. Yeah. Throw his ass out of the Throw game. Throw him out of the game, please. Like, before he goes and does, goes and hits a home run, when he argues balls and strikes, I'm pretty sure that's a that's that's an ejection offense. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen it happen many Throw times. Out. Throw him out of the game if if he's causing issues. But there, there's nothing better than seeing Joe Madden's uh, glasses fog up <laughs> when he gets angry. Yeah, when he starts running onto the field to <laughs> the, defend his player. The dad jog out yeah. into the field. Uh, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. What are you doing? My guy? No. You're not throwing Wilson out of this one? This is my boy. Joe, sit down. <laughs> Joe, just don't. <laughs> Just go sip some Pinot and watch uh, the game. So I think we're both fully on Tyler Flowers' side of this of this argument. Um, not that big of a deal mm-hmm. in the grand scheme, but uh, fun to talk about e- either way. I'm just glad I get to rag on Wilson a little bit more. Yeah, that's pretty much why we're talking about this. Just a little Contreras hate fest uh, for, for five minutes or so. Uh, so the last MLB thing we want to talk about before we get into the, the wild, wild west that is the NBA is... Mickey Calloway, oh, no. Mets manager, uh, he got into oh, a verbal altercation no. with a Mets beat reporter, oh, and uh, Mickey. I think so. I th- yeah, go ahead. Do you know what was said to Mickey when when that caused the MFers to be dropped? Please in, tell in, us. So after it, it was not fully reported on, but the idea was basically Mickey, you know, was having a bad day. His team's getting beat. They're on a pretty rough streak of the season right now. He's on the hot seat. Yeah. He's a little sensitive right now, and he's being questioned. I'm sure he's hearing the same questions over and over yeah. again. He's being questioned about the pitching and not scoring runs, of and this course. is what happens when your team's going bad. Basically, Mickey was just not having it that day. Yeah, He had, had a frustrating session with the media, and yeah. after it had concluded in, the, in, in his office, the reporters were filing out. And this particular reporter, his name's Tim something. I'm sorry, I don't know his last it's name. It's Tim something. Tim something basically said, and we don't know, we don't have audio of it, but he said basically, see you tomorrow, Mick. Yeah. That's what he said. I don't know the, if there was any condescending tone or whatever it was, but all he said was, see you tomorrow, Mick. Yeah. And Mickey Cal- that had been the straw that broke Mickey Calloway's back. And that, and his response to that was to get up in his face, scream MFR, and demand he leave the clubhouse, which then prompted and made this an exception, uh, an acceptable thing for his players to then also get pissed off at the media and threaten to fight him something. Right. I'm and trying, had I'm trying be, to find his name. By no, me. and had to be removed. Tim to, Healy. Tim Healy. God, Tim, Tim I'm Healy sorry. of Newsday. Sorry for disrespecting. So you, Vargas, basically the starting pitcher for yeah, the Mets. Jason Vargas. By the way, who who's nobody? Who, he, this Jason is the first Var- time you're hearing him. Jason Vargas. Maybe you remember him from like five plus years ago being a somewhat competent pitcher. Who is he to start talking, by the way? Well, this was his moment. Yeah, this is his shining moment of the season. So he sees his manager getting obviously berated and harassed. Yeah. I think I think from what I saw, Jason Vargas re- said to reporters that he saw Tim Healy strike Mickey Calloway which in the face. And then, which is not true, by the way. And then true. Jason Vargas took that as a moment to vent his own personal frustration yeah. and, and actually gestured to fight Tim Healy yeah. as he's leaving he's the He's going to fight a reporter. Right. The most ridiculous thing maybe that's happened this season. So, well, actually, it's funny you say that because we're getting ready to get to the most. Until this. Until until this. So that that whole thing. So to wrap this up, Mickey Calloway then. Well, the the Mets were like. um, I'll, I'll let you take over in a second here. But the Mets, after this happened, there was an outcry uh, in the media for Mickey Calloway to be fired. And to be and apologize and uh, and to apologize, you know, and this is a probably a fireable offense when you think about it. My question is, uh, if you're not going to fire him for having a not good record as a manager and being 
basically not in charge of your team, you're not going to fire him over some comments. So I think it was kind of unreasonable to ask the Mets to make the right decision. But uh, after this happened, the Mets tweeted at their usual, we're looking into this and Mm -hmm. we'll get back to you. Way to handle it well, by the way. Always good to not be ready to deal with a disaster situation. We'll we'll get around to it. Until then, you know, just don't be too hard on me. I'm waiting for Roger Goodell to take his fingers off the Mets' Twitter. (laughs) Roger Goodell, (laughs) we know you're in New York sometimes. Give it a rest with the Mets. Just stuff. leave them alone. Uh, so then, then tell us what happened after all all the smoke cleared a little bit. So basically, Mickey, Mickey has a setup with the reporters before the game the next day, yeah. basically as a platform for him to apologize. That's all it is. Which he does not. No. He basically dances around the fact, and he, he avoids... Every use of the word, my bad, I apologize, that's my fault. And I'm instead, sorry. I'm sorry. And, and instead goes to, well, you know, tempers flare up. I'm a passionate guy. This is a passionate game. You know, I'm a competitor. Well, you're a manager. Yeah. And you're, you're a manager. To, you're and, actually not um, a competitor the way like a player is, for example. And you're supposed to be the adult in the clubhouse. Yeah. So he doesn't apologize. He has a meeting with Brody Van. What is his, his weird name? Brody Van Wagenen. Bo- Brody Van Wagenen. If I said that wrong, I do not apologize. No, no. The GM slash coach <laughs> of the Mets, manager of the Mets, and he uh, has a meeting with him, and like a child, like a father talking to a child, demands that he marches back into the media yeah. room to actually say the words, I apologize, Just, I was wrong. How do you go through that, by the way? I, I don't know if I can think of another manager that would have not apologized after that. I mean, even... Even managers that we don't like, mm-hmm. Brad Ausmus would have went back out there. Uh, Dom Mattingly would have never gotten to that situation. No. Um, I don't. I don't know if Aaron Boom would necessarily apologize, but by all accounts, he seems to be a decent enough guy off the field. I feel like Aaron Boone. Would... I question Boone more as an in-game manager right. than as a as a as a personality. Yeah, I feel like Aaron Boone would handle it with like a backwards com, like yeah. a backwards compliment Aaron Boone would be apology. Like, well, you know, I apologize that you got upset about it. Right, like it's my bad that you got it. I should face. have known you can't handle that. Right, so that's on me for for <laughs> thinking that you couldn't be an adult in this situation. That's uh, how Aaron Boone would. Another, have done we it. gotta criticize Boone as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but um, going back into this, so he goes, it crawls in back into the media room like a like a child and yeah. basically says. I'm sorry, okay? It's my bad. And then walks out of the room. Yeah. Now, you would think that that was the craziest thing. That's the end of it, right? You would think that that was the craziest thing that could happen to the Mets. Mets fans are basically crying in a corner right now. (laughs) And I'm sorry, but we have to talk about this. We love uh, Jacob deGrom, if it's any consolation. There was a report going around right after this has all transpired that Brody Van Wagnon... The general manager of the Mets yeah. is sitting in press boxes, <laughs> texting and calling down to the dugout and and making pitching changes for Mickey Callaway in game. Making managerial decisions in game. This supersedes hand holding. No. This supersedes parenting. This is ridiculous. This is this is actual like this is crazy. Mickey Callaway's his ghost manager? Is that what it is? So 
I'm a little lost for words because I, I can't imagine a situation with grown adults that are in charge of yeah. basically a billion-dollar franchise, mm-hmm. right, that are in running New it, York, in, by the way. In New York. The biggest media market in, in the United States. Handling their professional team yeah. like a daycare. It's it's unprecedented. I, I maybe it's happened before. I shouldn't say that. Maybe they're there, but but when you hire Mickey Calloway, right? And this is true for any team. You're saying you're the guy who's going to be in charge of controlling the clubhouse, the twenty five players on the team, whoever gets called up, your coaching staff, your training staff. Basically, the gen- yes, the general manager probably has more power than you in the scheme of the the actual organization, but you're in charge of the day to day stuff. No question. And by the way. Managerial decisions, that's up to you and your coaching staff. If you're going to make mistakes or make good moves, that's on you. What Brody Van Wagenen did is said, no, that's on me. I'm taking control of that too. So one of the things – The guy who traded for Robinson (laughs) Cano, by the way, do you really want him in charge of decision-making? So the – no, it's it's true. But so the thing that you and I always talk about that makes a really good general manager, and Mike Rizzo talks about this a lot. Yeah. Dave Dombrowski talks about this a lot. Billy Bean practically invented yeah, this, this way of thinking. Some of the best in the business, right? Is the idea is that as a general manager, you're thinking in one to three to five year increments. Yeah. It, yeah, you have your may, one year plan, your three year plan, your five right. year plan, your long term plan. Right. Mike Rizzo lives by that. Yeah. That's how he organizes his entire life. Well, you well you see it. I mean. Uh, to bring up probably as recently as last year, the best general manager, president of, of baseball, whatever you want to call him, Dave Dombrowski, his plan wasn't – he didn't go into 2018 saying, I'm going to make every move I can today to win a World Series this year. No, he said when he took over the team, he had a three-year plan, five-year plan. He was like, by this point in time, I will have made these moves Correct. to put my team into contention. Right. And it worked. It, it does. It worked. And usually it does when you have when you have managers that have that thought process. Maybe the shortest that a general manager is thinking about, yeah. right, is a half a season in the future. Right. That's and the maybe, shortest. Yeah, to the all-star break or whatever you want to say. If you're a general manager, yeah, and you're caring about who is pitching the eighth inning of an 82 inning by loss. Inning. inning by inning. You are in a dire position. If because if you're thinking about who's going to come in for Noah Syndergaard after he gets hurt for the six hundred fiftieth time, um, you're not thinking about the future of the team. No, you're not thinking about the moves that you should be making by the trade deadline. You're not yeah. making thinking about what you're going to be doing to handle out your cap for for your expiring players and right. how you're going to fill and those how needs. How you're going to either buy or sell players at the deadline, who you're going to sign in the offseason, what you're going to do to have the Mets in position to win the play, win in, uh, make the playoffs and win next year, the year after, the year after that. You're thinking about today. You're thinking about game whatever, whatever we're at in the 70 or 80 range by now. You're thinking about that specific game. That is terrifying. <laughs> That's Mets, horrifying. I, I don't know how you'd be a Mets fan. Well, That's d- rough. Well, I, I mean, don't 2015 either. was a great year for them, all things considered. I don't know how they go through it day to day. I there's there's not enough things that you can say about the situation to make right. it okay. The reality of the situation is that you're a general manager. The reason there's a manager there is to handle your day-to-day in-game right. operations. He's the guy in charge of decisions day to day. That's literally his job description. If he's not doing a good enough job, which Mickey Callaway is not, right. then you fire him you and fire you fire him, another one. Bring in someone else. The the general manager's responsibility more than anything is to build the group of twenty-five players right. and I guess forty if you want to include the whole roster. 
that is going to help your team contend year to year. Right. What what the manager does with those players is up to the manager. A good GM, this game that was being played, right? Yeah. Th- this game that was being played, whatever he was making decisions, a good general manager last thought about this game in this month. Yeah. A year ago. Yeah. He shouldn't even be present. He's not thinking game to game. There's a reason that Dave Dombrowski, whenever they flash up to him in the yeah. Red Sox broadcast, is looking at an iPad practically with his back turned to right. whatever game is going on and right And now. it's not about not caring no. about what's happening. It's about building your team for the future, you, which is something the Mets have done a horrible job at. Right. And your work should already have been done right. in, while that game's being played. If you look at the Mets, the players they've had over the last few years... There's a there's a chance that they could have been a playoff team. You had Noah Syndergaard, Jacob Degrom, Zach Wheeler, uh, Matt Harvey pre-injury, um, Stephen Matz. That's a dynamite pitching staff. No, no matter pressure. how you slice it, if they're healthy, you've had guys in the bullpen. Uris Familia. You traded for Edwin Diaz. Uh, you had um, Hen- Hen- I, I'm going to say it wrong. Henry Mejia, whatever his name was, good player. Uh, um, you've had bats on the team. In the past, but it seems like every single year we get to a point with the Mets where April's a great month for them because they're pitching. Their pitching stays semi-consistent, then gets hurt. There's no production from the offense, and they throw out, they get rid of um, Terry Collins and go straight to Mickey Calloway. Nothing gets better. And then you hire a general manager that, by the way, spent his entire professional career being an agent. That's well, we scary. saw it with the Lakers, That's with scary. Rob Polinka. That's not going That's well either. That's a different either, sport. Maybe an agent's not the right way to go about it. Like, listen, let's give Rob Polinka some credit. He's a boob, but he's yeah. a boob that got... He's well, he's in L.A., which right. probably helps, but uh, at the end of the day, he got Anthony Davis, LeBron James, which is, uh, you know, two of the, the five or ten best players. So credit to him. Yeah. Uh, Brody much- Van Wagenen... Got Robinson Cano, who's like 40 or 50 years old. And he's 52. Uh, Edwin Diaz looks nothing like he did last year. Nope. Um, what else What else have, has he done? I, <laughs> That's well, helped the team at all. Overpaid for players, I mean, traded prospects, and, and basically in-game managed his, yeah, his team. To third or fourth place finish so far. Which is not surprising. Which is not surprising. I, I guess you can give credit... Um, I don't know if this is credit to the Mets scouting or the 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 operations that were in place before Brody Van Wagenen. Pete Alonso looks like a potential all star. Um, Jeff McNeil looks like a competent player. Brandon Nimmo uh, having a way down year this year, but looks like a good player. So yeah, yeah. With the Mets, you know, there's things to be excited about, but I just don't. I don't think Brody Van Wagenen is is the person that's helping them, and we know for a fact he's the person that's hurting them. I think the best thing for the Mets to do is fire Mickey Calloway three or four days ago mm-hmm. and either let Brody Van Wagenen ride out this season without making in-game decisions or just fire him and start clean. How do you... Has it ever been done in baseball where, where like a president or like an owner of... The Mets or a franchise, not just the Mets, a franchise in professional sports has physically taken cell phones from managers and general managers during games. Well, see, that's the problem because Brody needs a cell phone to make deals, but he's using his cell phone to call his manager. I we uh we might need to block some numbers for like, the Mets. Okay, Brody, <laughs> calm down. You're not in trouble. 
Just, We're giving you the track phone. You got five numbers on here. The couple, Firefly. You, you know, you, you, if you need more numbers, call me. And these are you can only talk to other teams. Right. That's all you can do. No, you cannot talk to your boy Mickey. No. And uh, this is what's happening. We're not mad. Yeah. We're not mad at you. We love you. We're just disappointed. We're, and that's the worst part of it all, isn't it? We're just disappointed. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk less about Mickey Calloway and more about the NBA. Stick around. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about some NBA stuff. Uh, the draft was last Thursday night, yep. and the NBA Awards show that, again, nobody watched nope. was last night. We're, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, we're going to talk about the draft first. Um, my, there was a lot of movement. Um, one team that stuck out to me was Atlanta. Um, I liked how they went up and got DeAndre Hunter. Um my question to you, just off the top of your head, what's the most shocking thing that happened in the draft? Um, I think there were I think there were a couple shocking things. I the Atlanta trade first of all, I know yeah. that they had wanted to move up, but they, well, they wanted DeAndre Hunter more than anything, right? Which I love DeAndre yeah, Hunter. And I think he's going to be a good player. Now everybody apparently loves to compare the next number three that plays both ends of the floor yeah. to Kawhi Leonard, which is not true no, by the way, not happening. Because Kawhi there's only, is Kawhi. There's only one Kawhi. I will say, though, if you're going to draw a comparison of anybody that can get close to what Kawhi is, I think it's DeAndre Hunter. He played at UVA yeah. for three years. What he wa- Or for two years, excuse me. And what he was was he's a talented stretch three that yeah. plays elite defense. He has long wingspan and plays really good defense and can yeah. also and score from everyone. Another thing I liked about him in the tournament he seemed to play his best basketball in the tournament. Yes. Which is, you know, it, yeah, you know, we've seen situations where guys come out, have a hot tournament, and never turn into anything. I like the fact that DeAndre Hunter saved his best basketball for when it mattered. Right. Because in the national championship, facing a guy who's very similar to him, Jarrett Culver, we saw what happened. Yeah, UVA might have been the better team. But DeAndre Hunter was a huge reason why they won that championship. No question. He's coming up with big shots. He's yeah. making plays on the defensive end. He just, of, of everybody on that team, yeah. of a national championship winning team, he looked the most mature and the most yeah. prepared for any moment you oh, could I think he's going to step in and be a, a competent 30-minute-a-game role player right away. So, for me, the biggest surprise to start out, yeah. for me, probably would be the Suns. Yeah physically having a mental breakdown yeah. on national television. Correct. Now, now, from face value, yeah. this is not a surprise. The Suns have run their organization. The Suns are the not ground. in a good spot. But the thing that is baffling to me yeah. is that you have one of the best scoring guards. Yeah, Devin Booker. Young guards in all of basketball and Devin Booker, who you just drafted a couple years yeah. ago, right? Who's still young. Who's still a child. Yeah. And you've now gone and drafted... In your first pick, in the sixth pick of the draft, yeah. Jarrett Culver, who is legitimately the same exact player. Right, but then, then they trade Jarrett Culver, right. which doesn't even... I mean, at least Jarrett Culver has some value as like a 3 and D potential guy. Uh, his game might might have complemented uh, Booker's, the, right. you know, the way we see like... Um, like uh, I, I throw this comparison around a lot, but uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum... Uh, you can make that work. Problem is, they trade him to Minnesota for Dario Saric and the eleventh pick, I believe it Which was, is, and they take Cam Johnson. This is 
Now, Cam Johnson can do one thing. He can shoot threes. Right. Is that really what you want out of a lottery pick? He's a one-skill guy. He shoots. He He's shoots. the best shooter in the draft. By the way, Devin Booker can shoot. Yeah. Devin Booker can already shoot. He's that player. <laughs> He's that guy. So you, went, got him. so you went and got your own guy. You basically, again. you're like, let's get a worse Devin Booker and pair him with Devin Booker. And by the way, we're never playing any defense ever. If you hear that dull silence, it's because our heads are exploding yeah. right now. I think a lot of people were surprised by Cam Johnson going that high. Uh, I know the ringer had him, I think, the 30th best player available in the draft. And uh, we're not saying their word is gospel, no. but, I mean, these are guys who write about prospects for a living, basically saying the Suns had no business taking him that high. Correct. And, yeah, if you're worried about him him going, say, pick 15, 16, whatever, yeah, it might make sense to move up. But moving up that high, and there were a lot of good players still left on the board. I don't know what their plan is. I don't know if they have one. And I will say, as far as Dario Saric goes... He's not ever going to be an all-star. No. He can probably play in a playoff rotation if the Suns ever get back. But was it really worth it to move back five spots to get Dario Saric? I don't know. No. He's a he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands usually to, to make things happen. Probably doesn't project as anything better than like a sixth or seventh guy. The Suns not really impressing us. Although, I shouldn't say that because I like Ty Jerome. And I think he, he's going to be a competent NBA player on their team. Mm-hmm. So the problem is when you make your best pick with your second pick in the draft, you're probably not doing it right. No, you're absolutely right. I, it's, Yeah, it, it's kind of baffling to me that this continues. Like, you kind of think to yourself, who is who is making the decisions yeah. for, the, for the organization? And... And do they actually real like? Do they have a board up yeah. that shows their current players, yeah. and then the players in the necessity, yeah. like the the needs, well, the like, necessities? Did they, did they scout these players correctly? Have they thought about the long term future of their franchise, or did they just see Cam Johnson and like, oh, he shoots, let's take him? Well, like you know, NBA, yeah, three pointers. You need to shoot. We're the Warriors now. No, <laughs> no, yeah, that's I mean, not how if, that works. If your plan is to make Cam Johnson your Clay Thompson. Yeah, it kind of rhymes. It sounds kind of cool. It's not happening. No. It's not happening. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we're not alone here in that Cam Johnson to the Suns was the biggest shocker of the night. Yeah. Uh, another one I wanted to ask you, who do you think got a guy that fits best into the the current uh, form of their team? So I I like a couple guys, but one of the, one of the picks that really stood out to me and a guy that I'm really big on is Kobe White. Yes, going 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 to, to the Bulls. Bulls. And w- the thing that I love about this pick is, and I'm not doing the oh, it's now Derrick Rose 2.0. No. You know, he's coming back to save you know the Bulls, all this other stuff. No, what you've done is you are filling a need on your team. Yeah, right where you have good young perimeter players around you, ta- yes. some talented young talent. Yeah, you have. Lori Markinen, Otto right. Porter, Wendell Carter Jr. Good wings. Uh, Zach Levine, who I actually don't like that much as a player. But, yeah, you, ha- you have good wings. You needed a point guard. And you needed a guy to be able to run the offense, an explosive guy that can score for anyone yeah. on the floor. And I think, I think I'm think i not alone in saying Kobe White might have been the best point guard in the draft. 
No. To get him at pick, I think, seven it was. Yeah, pick That's seven. pretty good value. Oh, no question. I watched Kobe White play at North Carolina, and he has the ability to take over games, and yeah. he is the fastest transitional player on the court at all times. Oh, they're going to be running up and down the floor in Chicago. I think there's more hope for that team now than there has been in years. Yeah, you, they had... They got a guy that they needed and wanted, and yeah. frankly, could have I could have seen teams passing up yeah. on Kobe White going more down the board because you know you wanted a guy with length that can yeah. you know a th- stretch three that of can course. score from anywhere, play defense, all those things. Go and actually look at what your team needs, like yeah. the Bulls did, and and fill a need with a gr- with the potential to be a really really good right. player. and at the right spot too. Because I right. mean, I know um, we saw guys Rui Hachimura going to the Wizards at nine. Um, uh, Cam Reddish going to Atlanta at 10. Yep. I mean, we saw some of these wings going right after the Bulls pick. Having said that, I think it was the right fit in the right spot. They didn't overdraft him. No. And uh, good on Chicago, honestly, for making a good pick. Uh, one guy I want to talk about, late-round picks. So uh, not necessarily lottery picks. Um, at... As a beleaguered Wizards fan, I like Admiral Schofield that's like a too. bench player. I don't know if he'll ever be a starting point guard necessarily, but he's a mature player. Uh, he's a good fundamental basketball player. And I think he, he can step in and uh, do a little bit of stuff next to Bradley Beal right away. And uh, the other one I wanted to talk about was Bull Bull. Um, Bull Bull fell harder than anybody in this draft. This was rough. This was kind of honestly heartbreaking to watch. This is a guy who could have been a lottery pick top if five. he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have even been a top five pick if he was healthy. Mm-hmm. The injury concerns are there. And he drops all the way to the late second round. 44. To Denver. Denver is a you know a rehabilitation facility. They took Michael Porter Jr. last year who hasn't played basketball in like 10 or 15 years. Um, so Bull Bull will have the chance. He doesn't have to step in and have any pressure on him. He can just focus on getting healthy. But, yeah, I, I like that for Denver. When you're in the second round at pick 44 and you're taking a guy who, if he's healthy, is a top 10 pick, mm-hmm. you've you've done a good thing. There's a lot of upside. with The, the risk is worth the reward yeah. with Bull Bull. And I think anytime you're past like pick 15, pick 20, right. you have to take those projects. Another guy that I really liked, and this is a guy I really liked in college at Michigan, was Jordan Poole going yes. to the Golden State Warriors. Yes. You basically found a guy in college that basic, that fits the perfect mold of what your team is. He's yeah. a shooting guard that, that can shoot deep from three. Not going to get a lot of defense, but is going to be a guy that Well, you can, can play pre- him next to Steph right away. Immediately, because he can hit open shots. Yeah, and, he, and he that's can... what they didn't have in the playoffs when everyone got hurt. Right, so you've now got a guy in Jordan Poole who is accustomed to hitting big shots at Michigan, knows how to win, and is now going to a team that is predicated on winning. And with Klay Thompson out of the lineup, yep. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him come into games. I'm not saying he's finishing. Uh, he could be playing 20, 25 minutes a game right away in, uh, well, I want to say Oakland, but I guess it's San Francisco now. No, it's Golden State. It's Yeah, stupid name. It's stupid. <laughs> stupid name. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good pick. Absolutely. Um, one more that I like that I didn't have on this list here. Uh, I wrote about Nasir Little going to oh, yeah. going to Portland. That's a good pick. Um, this was another guy we were talking about as a potential top five pick before the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't really f- ever figure it out at North Carolina, and all of a sudden, at the end of the first round, he drops to Portland. No pressure on him really. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to step in and score a lot. Mm-hmm. He can mature. 
Damian Lillard's a good teammate, a good veteran leader. Yep. He can he can be a steal of this draft potentially. I think Nasir Little has that kind of like tough, undersized, like you know, almost almost has the physicality of a undersized four. Yeah, and what you have with crazy athleticism, he has kind of a junkyard dog mentality, mm-hmm. where it just kind of gets on the court and it's kind of an fu mentality where he just he doesn't care who he's lined up against, which yeah. is key for a young player in the NBA. Right, and he's going to go at you with 150 miles an hour. Absolutely, and you can see a scenario in a playoff game where they're playing Damian, CJ, Nasir Little, Zach Collins, and uh, Yusuf Nurkic. Yep, that's a good group of five guys that has legitimate defense on the team mm-hmm. and isn't scared of anybody. No, it's just it's kind of got he kind of fits the mold of like that fu mentality. Yeah. like he's just ready to go. It doesn't matter. LeBron James, yeah, James Harden, just whoever's on the court, I'm coming at you. Absolutely, and I think again, when you're picking at the end of the first round, you're not expecting it, you know, to pick up Zion Williamson. No. You're taking a guy that has potential but has question marks, and I think for Portland, Nasir Little, yeah, he has question marks, but the upside is there. No question. Um, that's so. We just mentioned him, Zion. We got to talk about him. Is Zion the savior of New Orleans? I think if there's going to be one, it's got to be him, it's right? Zion, right? I mean, this is obviously this is the most impactful draft pick they've had since Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. But more importantly than that, the guy that you're getting, right, outside of Anthony Davis, I mean, you're talking about a guy that literally can play any position on the floor. Yep. The most exciting prospect since Kevin Durant, LeBron James. Exactly. This is a once-in-a-generation kind of pick. This is LeBron to Cleveland. Yeah. This, this, this has the potential to be that. And one thing I like... Now, we were talking about this off the pod. Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart. We're not super sure that any of these guys are future all-stars or even great rotation players. But what they've done is they've got a young team. They have legitimate NBA players. And they put Zion in a position where he can succeed. He doesn't have to be the guy right away. They have Drew Holiday. Or Brandon Ingram, guys that can handle the ball and take pressure off. Right, guys that have played in the league for a little bit and yeah. have been able to produce. Now, one thing. Now, one thing that I want to ask you is if Zion goes to New York, yeah, or to you know the Grizzlies, whoever else, yeah. just not the Pelicans. And this, and you look at this trade, what does it say to you? Well, what it says to me is we're all collectively overrating the hell out of these Lakers prospects the right. Pelicans got. Um, Brandon Ingram has had his best seasons in unsuccessful Lakers seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't necessarily project as an all-star into the future. Lonzo Ball, who's as gifted a passer we've seen, literally can't shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. He's almost as bad as Ben Simmons, though nobody is. Um, <laughs> Josh Hart is basically just a bad 3 and D player. Um, I like Josh Hart. Just I like pod. Josh Hart, too, but... I get let's, your point. Let's not talk about him as a positive <laughs> asset. He's okay, kind of just a throw-in. Right. Uh, what I do like is the pick swaps. And we were talking about this. In the future, when LeBron is either not on the Lakers anymore, not good anymore, Here we go. whatever, 2025, and the Lakers win 15 games, guess who gets that one, two, or three overall pick? The Pelicans. They get because of the pick swap. Now, because of the pick Nick, swap. Nick, why are pick swaps important? Pick swaps are important because it can change the direction of your team from getting, say, Nasir Little instead of Jason Tatum. Here we go. This is what happens. This is We're talking about the Boston-Brooklyn uh, trade. As a part of that trade, 
Boston got a pick swap in the Jason Tatum draft, or should I say the Markel Fultz draft? No, it's the Jason Tatum draft. <laughs> it's the Jason Tatum draft. And they, they, they moved up into the number one overall pick by swapping with Brooklyn. They traded back to three and got Jason Tatum. Thank God they didn't get Markel Fultz. Yes. No offense to Markel. Uh, pick swaps are important because they can actually change the future of your team where if the New Orleans Pelicans are a playoff team in the future, they could still have top five overall picks coming into their team, which is something we saw at Boston. Obviously, it's flamed out a little bit this year, but it's setting up your team to succeed in the future. I'm more excited about the pick swaps than I am of Brandon Ingram or Alonzo Ball. I am too. Those are, I think those are way more important. Like you said, that turns... That turns a mid-round pick into a into a lottery pick. Absolutely. And that, that can change the direction of your franchise. Absolutely. I mean, look at it. Jason Tatum before this season was being talked about as maybe the most coveted asset in the league in regards to the Anthony Davis trade. They wouldn't have got him if they didn't have those picks swapped. Right. Um, so now I want to talk. This is your wheelhouse, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The Duke guys. Right. Uh, three Duke guys are going in the top ten. Zion to New Orleans. R.J. Barrett to the Knicks, and Cam Reddish to the Hawks. My question is, these were all guys we talked about as potential number one overall picks before the season. Sure. They're all super talented, and they're all going to teams that kind of need them to play well. Who, Which one of the three is the best bet for rookie of the year? I mean, the boring but most realistic answer is Zion, right, just for what he is. But I, I don't think... For at least for this rookie year with the teams that everybody's going to be on, I don't think it's out of the question that R.J. Barrett doesn't at least get you know good consideration for yeah. rookie of the year because you're going he's going to immediately be thrusted into that New York offense where he's going to be running it similarly to how he did at Duke. Yeah, he's going to be the number one guy. He's going to be the number one guy where he's basically going to be told to make plays. Yeah, and he's and look for open guys and basically make correct passes and take and take you know twenty five shots a night. Yeah, which is which is good for him because for the most part rj is a smart intelligent player and yeah. he has very good passing ability well there's a reason he was thought of as a number one pick as recently as like six months ago and to be honest with you if he's not in a draft with zion williamson there's a good chance he probably is because well, i think you and i both liked him better as a prospect than john moran well i do with no offense to john moran no. but uh, when you look at some of his highlights and he's playing in like a high school gym it doesn't exactly inspire me into thinking he's going to succeed at the NBA level. One of the things that we got this year in in college basketball with Duke was that it was the Zion show. Yeah. And everybody was subject to it, good or bad. Absolutely. So you have R.J. Barrett, who for all intents and purposes, like I said, if Zion's born a year earlier or a year later, mm-hmm. R.J. Barrett's the star of college basketball mm-hmm. for a year and probably goes number one. I could see that happening without a doubt. And what he faces in that college year is the fact that Zion, when Zion will Williamson doesn't have the ball in his hands in the last two minutes and doesn't take every shot when the entire team is guarding him and everybody else is open. RJ gets subject to to the scrutiny of why didn't you give the ball to Zion or yep. why did you do this? You know, what I mean? when you've got a player that literally is capable in college scored twenty two points a game, yep. average seven assist, average seven rebounds and three or four assists every yep. night. In college, as a freshman, he's, this, he's a baby. I mean, he had an amazing uh, freshman season. He's an he's an eighteen year old child. <laughs> And now, exactly. and now he's going to go do this in New York on in probably the greatest professional arena for basketball yeah. in the world. Of course. Every night. And it, it's amazing that the Knicks got forced to make the correct pick. Right. They didn't have a choice. That's they couldn't the mess it thing, out. If the, if the Grizzlies take R.J. Barrett second, do the Knicks then take John Morant? 
or DeAndre Hunter or they Cam probably, Johnson. They probably trade the pick. They probably do the wrong thing, but because RJ was the best player left, they had to take him. Right. And it might affect their franchise in a positive way, which is something we haven't seen in New York in years and years and years. No, this is, like we said, I mean, this is... This could be altering for their franchise and produce somewhat of a winning culture yeah. for for years to come. But they're gonna have to build around them. I mean, this is this is the first good foundation yeah. block in years and years of them in the making. One thing that worries me, we know it's not it's no secret. Before the Achilles injury, Kevin Durant was rumored to be headed to the Knicks mm-hmm. uh, in free agency in about a week from now. Um, they're still gonna go after him. And he's going to miss all of next year. So RJ is going to have the team to himself mm-hmm. no matter what, whether they sign KD or not. My question is, would you want KD still as the Knicks thinking about next year, basically his skill set somewhat overlapping with RJ Barrett? And then you're kind of stuck with two guys, one of them who's a far superior version. Doesn't that kind of stunt RJ Barrett's development? I think yes, but I also think that it should – we should give credit to the idea that basically while Kevin Durant is rehabbing, he's basically in the ear of R.J. Barrett yeah. every day. True. You know, teaching him, guiding him oh, along. Oh, there's nobody better who could teach him than Kevin Durant probably. Well, because it's a similar – I mean, like I said, it's a lengthy stretch guard that can that operates the offense, right. has the ball in his hand. Yeah. So you have that. And then I don't think it would stunt his growth as much as on a basketball team in 2019 – you need two guys, yes. right? You need Absolutely. two guys that can score 25 a night plus and, and take over games. And if you have Kevin Durant who can facilitate and close out games with RJ coming up in his second year, hopefully building on his, his rookie season, yeah. I think you could I think you could end up in three years having two guys that are elite 30-point scorers and are unstoppable with the ball, similar to what you have with the Rockets. Right. I know it's a big jump, right. but I'm saying it's, but it's, possible. it's not crazy to think that RJ Barrett couldn't come in and be a – a great number two to Kevin Durant in 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 New York. No, I think that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I like RJ as a as a sleeper rookie of the year. I mean, I know Zion is the odds-on favorite, of course. John Morant's going to have the entire offense to himself in Memphis, and he's a point guard, which always helps your rookie of the year candidacy. Um, but my my thing with this is uh, in this discussion about the Duke guys. Zion might be coming in. We don't really know how he's going to react as an offensive player. He might be the third or fourth option on his team starting the year. And Cam Reddish, I mean, you have Trey Young, uh, Herter. I'm forgetting his first name. Kevin Herter. Kevin Kevin Herter. John Collins and DeAndre Hunter. Cam Reddish is basically fifth or sixth in line for touches. R.J. Barrett's going to get it all. I think we could see a situation where R.J. and John Morant are fighting for the rookie of the year and Zion doesn't win it. I still think Zion's going to be the best player in this draft in the future, Mm -hmm. like by a wide margin, but we don't always see rookie of the year going to the best player. That's true. I think this might be a case where RJ Barrett could sneak in, win rookie of the year and kind of prove why he was a potential number one pick uh, before the season. No, I agree. Uh, The last thing we want to talk about is the NBA awards. Uh, Again, Nobody watched this. No. Nobody cares about didn't the show. Didn't know it was on. Yeah, you didn't know it was on. I was not watching it. You had to text me to tell me, hey, Lou Williams just won six man of the year. I was I like, will, is that tonight? I will say it loud and proud. I was watching The Bachelorette at the time. I was too. Uh, you were too. I was too. You were, also, you were watching The Red Sox as well. Uh, yeah. Um, 
That that was uh, nobody wants to watch the awards show. No. We all remember fondly the days where MVP was announced uh, in the middle of the first round in the playoffs or the second round. The and good old days. It was relevant, and the season had just happened, and and you were like, yeah, Giannis had a freaking great season, and then they rewarded him with MVP two weeks later. That makes sense to me. Not the regular season ended in April, and we're almost in July, and now we just found out Giannis was MVP. By the way. After his team lost in the playoffs, which is our, it's it's the worst consolation prize of all time. Oh, your your team was two wins away from the finals. Here's an MVP award. Congratulations, James Harden. By the way, didn't even show up to the event, and he was supposed to be neck and neck with Giannis for MVP. That should tell you something. When a guy who was the major contender for your your biggest award doesn't, doesn't want to go, that's right. ridiculous. And then. This is a, a beside the point. I, I've said many times I didn't watch the awards show. When I did flip to it, <laughs> looking for the awards to be announced, which, by the way, didn't happen often enough, uh, we, we spent all this time, we spent like a half hour talking about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird um, giving them Lifetime Achievement Awards in the NBA. Okay, first of all, we've already gone over this story a million times since they both retired. <laughs> There's been 19 there was a documentary. No, 19 of that, them. But the good one. A I'm Broadway play. <laughs> Uh, we know the story. Why do we need to do this right now? Why is that relevant? Right now. The NBA is so starved for star power that the second LeBron's not in the mix for an award and Michael Jordan can't go to an event, they have to go all the way back to the 80s and bring out their star players. I was waiting for Bill Russell to get wheeled out in the center they're, stage. Like, they're squeezing every drop out of the star players in, in the league history. By the way, leaving out some of the greats in the past 15 years. I mean, if you're going to go that route, why not have Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki in this? Because at least they played less. <laughs> right, and they retired. Why <laughs> retired. give them lifetime we achievement spent all award. season talking about their achievement, and then we're like, okay, we're not bringing them up anymore. See you later. Who's here's Dwayne Magic Wade? and Larry. Yeah, here's Magic, <laughs> Magic and Larry haven't played in this century. <laughs> like, look, look, they come from different backgrounds, yeah. different cultures. But they're friends, too. But they're friends and, and, competitors. and fierce competitors. It's it, we, we know the story. You, you know, this is a Game of Thrones fault. Fire and ice. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's True. what we got. True. You know, the yang versus the yang. Yeah. This is what we get. Larry They're, Bird, by the way, did not look excited to be there. Well, no, he doesn't want to be he there. He doesn't Because he hates it. Because he's in charge of the, of the Pacers, and he actually has business to do. He would, he would actually rather be pushing his tractor... Not not on top of it, physically pushing right. his tractor through a field right now. If his back would allow it. <laughs> and rather than be there for that reward Magic show. Johnson just wants to tweet about things like, wow, congratulations to Giannis on an amazing season. Thank you for your contribution, Magic. If you don't hear the applause, I'm promising you everybody's clapping. Um, so <laughs> we'll just run through the awards real quick. Um, Lou Williams, sixth man of the year. Is there ever a better choice? No, it's it's Lou. It's Lou. It's, it's Lou, and then it Lou would... with the two girlfriends and the sixth man, um, <laughs> and they get along. And they get along. Um, <laughs> rookie of the year, Luka Doncic. Uh, you and I both thought yeah. it was a runaway. No, no, it's not even close. Don't it, come with me. This Trey the, Young nonsense. Trey Young had a great second half. Trey Young doesn't play defense, by the way. No, I'm not saying Luka's Kawhi. 
Trey Young has never defended a player in the history of his basketball career. No, he literally steps to the side and say, here you go. And he shot like 20% in the first half of the season. Enough with that nonsense, Atlanta. I don't even want to talk about it. Stop hyping up your players when they're not as good. I don't even want to talk about Trey. Um, most improved, Pascal Siakam. I like this. You like Pascal I here. I love Pascal. I thought it was going to be D'Angelo Russell. No. I thought D'Angelo putting together an all-star season, uh, leading his team to a, to a sixth seed, I believe it was, um, I, I I like D'Angelo there. You like Pascal. One of them's a champion. True. And contributed to being a champion. True. That's a fair point. The other thing with Pascal is you've got a guy that had a growth. Like you, we talked about this off the pod. That had a growth of good prospect, fine draft pick. Yeah. Av- was average player. Grew into being a good player. Right. And is now legitimately a number two yeah. or three. I- to a championship winning team. I actually liked him around the all-star time as a fringe all-star candidate. Mm-hmm. Just from what he was doing with Kawhi doing his load management stuff all the time. Pascal clearly established himself as better than Kyle Lowry on that team. Yep. Kyle Lowry was like a, I guess, a sympathy or a legacy pick, whatever you want to call right. it. Not an all-star. Not an all-star. Uh, but yeah, I like Pascal. I don't want to disrespect him. I just personally would have had D'Angelo Russell. Now... Do I think D'Angelo Russell should have been an all-star? No, I don't. Why do I say that? Right. Because he took J.J. Redick's spot being an all-star. True. Why J.J. I... Redick was worthy, by the way. J.J. Redick, NBA player, plays both sides of the floor, elite three-point shooter. He was De... putting up like 18 points a game at that point in the season. D'Angelo Russell started out as a high prospect. I mean, you know, lottery pick. Right. Snitched was... on a teammate. Yeah. True. Got sent to Brooklyn, yeah. basically as a like basically he got sent to the wall. <laughs> got sent to the wall, and has now made something out of it. Congratulations! I hope to God, yeah, that Danny Ainge does not sign him to a max contract well, because yeah, you'll regret that for years to come. That's a whole nother bag of uh, Pandora's D'Angelo's box. JJ Redick should have been an all star. Yes, D'Angelo <laughs> Russell took that spot from him. It's not fair, and there's nothing we can do about does it. Does that make me biased? Maybe a little bit. I don't like D'Angelo. <laughs> Do I think he can? Do I think he's a good player? Fine. Yeah, I'm not a D'Angelo Russell guy. Well, yeah, I, I think the the career trajectory of the two guys here, uh, Siakam and D'Angelo Russell. I think Siakam is going to have a better career. I mean, mm-hmm. he's already a champion. Uh, he was the best player on the floor in two finals games, which yep. is something D'Angelo Russell probably never can say nope. in his whole career. Uh, but yeah, I would have gone with D'Angelo, but I I don't dislike the pick for Pascal. Uh, finally, we're going to talk about MVP. We've talked about it all season. Uh, a lot of us thought it was Giannis in a runaway. James Harden with his streak of 40-plus uh, points per game for like 50 games. Nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I like when you reward the best player on the best team. I unless, do too. Unless it's a super, super great season by a guy on a lower seed. LeBron I like James. best player on the best team. Yeah, You have that situation where LeBron doesn't care about the MVP award. And oh, he'll, right, that's fair. He'll LeBron coast through the through the regular season, grab a four seed, and then win, you know, make it to the finals. Sure. Uh, having said that, LeBron doesn't have enough MVP awards. No, he doesn't. It's the Tom Brady complex. You yeah. can't give it to the best guy every year because that gets boring. And Mike Trout as well. Mike Trout, the Mike Trout effect. Read about it on statsondeck.com. The uh, MVP race, no, this is finally one of those years where, yes, you had James Harden have the elite offensive year. There's probably not a more talented offensive player in basketball right now. In the regular season. In the regular season. He does not play defense. No. Giannis Antetokounmpo 
I hope I said his he name was, right. He, I know we avoid that name. I'll just call him the Greek Freak. I'm going to call you the Greek Freak. Yanni, yeah. you play both sides of the floor. He was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. You were. By the way, before we get into this, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year, right. no complaints. No, Great player, should have been an All Star. Should have been an All Star. Should have been an All Star. God and, bless you, Rudy. And nobody should make fun of you for crying about it because that's no, your life's work. That was your life's work. You deserved it, and I'm glad you got rewarded with the Defensive Player of the Year. You deserve it. Yeah. Yanni? You play both ends of the floor. You do. You were gifted by God yes. or whatever you believe in, okay, <laughs> with the genetic lottery. Yes. You you were you were sculpted by the gods, basically, <laughs> to be the perfect basketball player in a lot of senses. Yes. We just gotta teach you to shoot those threes a little bit more. Yeah. At least he's willing to shoot. At least he actually does. Ben Simmons, who who similarly athletically gifted, refuses to even hoist up a shot past eight feet. Don't want to talk about Ben. (laughs) No, <laughs> that's the, another podcast. Yeah, that's ben like, Simmons, <laughs> leave Philadelphia, please. The um, no, you have Giannis, but on top of all the gifts that he has, yeah. he works harder than anybody else. That's true. Which is what we talk about with what makes these guys great, like Mike Trout, like yeah. like LeBron James. Linear improvement. They're gifted. They're so gifted, and they don't rest on it. No, they get better and they work their asses. Oh, yeah. off. Giannis could coast by and be a top ten player without working hard. No problem. But his his hard work has paid off. 60 wins in the regular season. Two games away from the finals. Two games away from the finals. Blowing the hell out of teams almost every game. uh, Leading his team to the Eastern Conference Finals and winning the MVP. Being physically unstoppable going to the rim and being a rim protector. Scoring 30 points a game without shooting threes. Yeah. Last guy who did that was LeBron James. I mean, no. And this is... This is the correct choice for MVP. This yes. embodies basketball player who has all the skills and works his ass off and yeah. is rewarded by this award. He deserves it. James Harden, you're amazing. You had yeah. a crazy year last year, too. You won too. it last year. Congratulations, MVP. You deserved it last yeah, year. He, well, well, last year, he was the number one seed in the West. Right. And, and he deserved it. This year, Johnny time. The funny thing I, I do find, this is my last thought about James Harden. If you look at his last three seasons... He probably deserved it over Russell Westbrook in the triple-double year. Mm-hmm. Then he won it last year and loses it this year. The year he won the MVP might have been his worst year of the three. Mm-hmm. But the way it shook out is that's the only year he, he, he won it and probably 100% deserved it. So uh, good on you, Giannis. Congratulations. Can't wait to see you win a championship. It's going to be great. That's the next step. That's what you got to do to complete it and be the best player in the league. Would you like to do it in Washington? <laughs> and that's where we're going to end the podcast. <laughs> and that's how we wrap. Um, thank you guys for listening to Stats on Deck. We gave you some MLB, some NBA, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, you can now find us on statsondeck.com. We do have a website. Go and, check it and out. And we're putting some written content out there to tide you over between podcasts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Laporte with a zero instead of an O. You can find Jake at From State Farm with fours instead of A's. Yep. Also, Stats on Deck Pod on Twitter. We put out some some polls pretty much every day, some content. Uh, we're trying to create content for you guys. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you reading. We appreciate you following. And uh, Jake? Boom, baby. Yost Ball.